This is the Command Your Brand podcast, where we talk to world changers, visionaries, and founders, people that are doing big things and changing this planet in a positive way. We're learning their stories, techniques, and exactly what you need to know so that you can do things in a big way. The time is now. Get ready to take command of your brand. What's up, everybody? Jeremy here. And guys, I'm very excited for the conversation we're going to have today because, frankly, I have a lot of marketing conversations. And this guy is one of the smartest marketers I have ever gotten a chance to speak to. So I'm excited to have him on the show. His name is Aditya Varanasi, and he runs a company called Awarity, which is really helping brands to get out there, get seen in the right way and to really grow. So Aditya, thanks for hanging out with me today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So I'm excited to kind of dive into things with you because I think you do get things a lot better than a lot of marketers out there with really the ecosystem you're creating. But I want to talk about first and foremost, like, how did you get into this whole world? And, you know, how did you come to be at Awarity? Yeah, it's a long winding journey. The Beatles song, right? I had a lot of stops I would have never expected. So I started, I actually started my career as an engineer working on new product development at PepsiCo in the Frito-Lay mm. division. And as I'm developing new products, you know, I had an opportunity to work with the brand marketing team and we would go to focus groups, see how they're interacting, hear customer feedback on new flavors, new shapes, new forms. I thought marketing was really cool. That was really the first time in my life I was exposed to marketing. Mm -hmm. And um, through that process, I just became more and more intrigued with how you could take data and analytics, but then when you translate it to how humans engage with it, it's very different. And that whole marrying of data and human psychology just fascinated me. Mm -hmm. And so I started to gravitate more and more, wanted to, you know, attend more and more of those focus groups and work with the brand marketing team to the point where I said, hey, I need to make a career out of this. And I went back, got my MBA uh, part-time while I worked full-time in the Quaker R&D group at PepsiCo, and then came back to Frito-Lay in the brand marketing group. And I think as an engineer there, one of the few engineers, I think there's only two of us in the marketing group, you know, we looked at things a little bit differently. There was a little bit more of a data focus, but at the same time, you know, at a world-class marketing company like PepsiCo, you learn the art of it. You learn the human side. You learn how to create persuasive creative that drives consumers to try new products. You know, they say, you know, the old quote from Maya Angelou is, people don't remember what you say, they remember how you make them feel. Yes. And PepsiCo was fantastic for learning that. But at the same time, bringing more of the data and analytics view led me down the path of a couple of things there. One was programmatic advertising, which started to emerge and all the data behind it. I was most intrigued because I felt like it's the one ad channel where you can reach anyone. Mm -hmm. You take cable TV and a lot of people don't watch TV or they'll watch a limited amount of- I don't week. even have cable, man. I'm totally on like right. Roku and streaming and stuff like that. Right. And then there's the streamers and there's the people that watch broadcasts. There's the people that don't watch any TV. You take somebody like me and really the only broadcast I watch nowadays is sports. And so, but when you take banner ads, every one of us is on websites every day. 92% of the country has internet access. Two thirds of that time- connected to the internet is actually spent online on websites. And so 
I was fascinated because I felt like it's the one way you could reach people, but then you could really control who sees the ad. You know, at the time we were experimenting with purchase behavior data, marrying it to devices, saying, hey, this household buys products like Cracker Jack or like Cheetos, you know, brands that I managed. They buy other products, but they don't buy those brands. So let's advertise them. We saw incredible ROI by doing that. Mm-hmm. And so as I started to understand more about the ecosystem of the programmatic advertising, I became more and more intrigued, brought it into more brands. And ultimately, I was hired by a private equity firm to run a startup. And they raised a lot of money. They wanted someone with a consumer marketing background. And they were also happy that I had an engineering background because it was in insurance. And I spent about six months doing that for the private equity firm. But that was my first experience with entrepreneurship. Mm. And the guy I worked for is a gentleman named Monish Pabrai. He's a very successful investor. He made his initial fortune starting his own business, selling it, and then you know became a Warren Buffett disciple and created a hedge fund that followed those same patterns. And he had a vision of creating another Berkshire Hathaway. And so I learned a ton from him in those six months about entrepreneurship and how you think about the value of a company as its net cash flow, how you think about making investments when you can see a tangible ROI. A lot of principles that ran counter to my perception of the startup world. You know, after six months, he shifted directions. He had some different reasons to shift directions. You know, he gave me an option to stay on, but I thought it was best to kind of move on as well because the original vision wasn't where we were going. Sure. And he scratched the itch, though, on entrepreneurship, and I felt a real calling to, to try something. And I thought we had some success with programmatic advertising. You know, when I, when I was running that startup, we had limited budgets, a new brand. We used programmatic advertising successfully to get new people to our website, to get new customers to engage with our brand. We could be highly targeted. And I had some new ideas I wanted to try based on kind of the data background I had. And partnered up with a guy that I knew, and we ran some campaigns for a winery and outperformed his agency on the first go, the agency he came from, which was a $100 million plus agency. In terms of CPM, CPC, conversions, we crushed them. Mm. And used these principles then to develop a small business package that started at $299 a month, where a small business could advertise locally instead of relying on newspapers and yellow pages. They could use banner ads, serve ads for their doctor's office or their restaurant or their roofing company, have people in the area see it, get them to the website. And it was a really cost-effective way to build their brand. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned from PepsiCo that really inspired me to push this path was we would see consistently, like, you know, take when I ran the Cheetos brand, for example, we would look at our marketing mix and run a really complicated regression to say, how did competitive activity impact our performance? How did pricing and discounts, how did TV, how did digital, how did in-store merchandising? And we looked at every input in our marketing mix and put it through a regression model. And what we found is we could assign a coefficient to each to each channel, and we knew what we were spending, so we could actually calculate an ROI. But what the model didn't necessarily calculate right out of the gate was the interaction of variables. We would see, hey, if you ran TV, you'd get this much lift. If you had a pricing discount, you would get this much lift. If you have in-store merchandise, you get this much lift. But if you ran all three together, it wasn't just the sum of the three, it was multiples higher. Mm. And it makes a lot of sense. You see Cheetos on TV and everybody knows what Cheetos is. You're reminded why it's fun, 
why it makes you feel like a kid again, why it's different in the world of snacking. And there's millions of snack choices from sweet to savory to healthy. But Cheetos plays a very unique role in there. It's the one snack you eat and you have to take a break because your hands are all messy. Right? You and, know, the, the, so, I think the interesting thing about that, though, is I think the way technology is when it did, yeah, I think brands have forgotten about a lot of the things you're talking about. And they're looking at, okay, so... We ran this ad to this many people. This is how many converted. This is how many opted in. And they're not realizing like, sure, they may <clears throat> see your ad. They may check out your website. They may not act on it then, but then they see an ad on TV or they see an ad someplace else or they interact with your brand on social media. And I think we've gotten so into that conversion percentage and conversion rate optimization that we've forgotten the ecosystem. Is that what you're talking about here? That's ultimately it. It's like you would see the Cheetos ad on TV. Then when you see it merchandise in store, you're like, oh yeah, Cheetos. I was just thinking about that. Then you see, yeah. oh, it's on sale. And the culmination of all of those is ultimately what drove the purchase. But to the point you're making, if you took a conversion only focus, you would do what companies like Frito-Lay did for years, which is let's overinvest in pricing discounts. Because we know for every 50 cents we discount the product, we get mm -hmm. this much lift and we know sure. what the ROI is on that. So let's just keep doing that. Then you're training your customer to only spend when things are on deal. You take that now to what's happening today. If you say, hey, my Google search is converting, is my highest converting channel, so I should just pour all my dollars into Google search. You're missing the fact that the only people searching are the people actively looking. That's always a really yes. narrow audience. You're competing. They have to know about else. you to even look for you first, right? They have to know they they have to know that's out there. Exactly. And and I like and if you take a sports analogy, you know, take a football analogy to the fullback dive. It's an important play. Everybody needs it. But there's no head coach that says, hey, half the time we run the fullback dive, we score a touchdown. So let's just run the fullback dive every play and score more touchdowns that way. That's not how it works. You yeah. got it to your point. People have to know about you. You have to drive some intent. You have to drive some top of mind awareness. You can't always create the need. But when the need arises, that's when that top of mind awareness pays off. And then they search for you. They may be engaged with your social content. And then they ultimately get to your website and your website has to persuade them. And each step of that journey plays an important role to ultimately converting. And what I saw, which is the science behind what we're doing is, it's easy to invest in what you can track most easily, but it limits your growth because then you're only advertising to people actively searching. What are you doing to drive more people to look for you? What are you doing to be that top of mind solution when people recognize they have a need you can help with? And the reason a lot of brands don't invest in that or a lot of businesses don't invest in that because it's harder to track. It used to be very, very expensive. And it was also really inefficient. Like you're just taking this huge shotgun approach, wasting a lot of media dollars. Then you have a harder time tracking and people walked away from it. And so what we've done is we've taken programmatic advertising, become more targeted, more mm -hmm. affordable, more efficient because of the targeting. We include creative to help persuade people to build the brand. And the end result is we've seen time and time again across industries, this has helped make lower funnel tactics more efficient, bring more people into that marketing funnel. And that's ultimately a key driver of sustainable long-term growth versus just relying on Google search. There's a couple of different directions I want to go with this, but I think the first thing I want to ask you is you talked about the marketing funnel. I think there's actually, and I'd love to hear your viewpoint on this, I think people have a huge confusion on what things people are seeing are actually in what part of the funnel. 
Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like people have a misunderstanding of what's top of funnel versus middle of funnel versus, you know, what that may be. I'm curious when you're looking at an ecosystem approach, how do you view that? Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard to do it for your own brand mm-hmm. because we're so immersed in our own business that we think about things differently than a new customer might. So one of the exercises I always encourage people to take is think about a product switch that you may have made. And let's talk about a high barrier product switch. So it could be changing a doctor or changing insurance carriers for your homeowners or renters policy. Those are things people don't like to do very often. And the first thing you have to embrace is that funnel and that journey is just long and winding. We all want it as business owners or marketers. We want it to go from A to B to C and be done. Yes. But the customer has their own way they're going to engage with it. And ultimately, if they don't feel something, if they don't feel a need to make a change, they're not going to make a change. And so emotion, you know, humans make decisions based on emotion, and then they rationalize the emotion versus making decisions on data and then Mm -hmm. feeling good about it. And I think when you embrace that, that informs how you think about the different steps of the funnel. You have to create a need. And awareness is about creating a need. So, for example, if you're talking about a homeowner's or renter's policy, maybe raising a question about what's not being covered by everyone else. Highlight a key pain point, a key point of distinction that you might offer that others don't offer. And continue to see that. And that universal truth doesn't generally change over time. And you want to be consistent with it because the more you're consistent with it, the more it's going to stick as customers see it over time, potential customers see it. Then you've kind of, and that's kind of at the awareness phase. You're building the brand, but it's not just a name and logo. It's what's one thing you stand for that you want people to remember. And we all have a habit of wanting people to know the 56 things we do better than everyone else. But it really comes down to what's the one thing that matters most to that customer and repetitively share that. And you can come up with different creative executions. Like you take a company like Geico. Uh, Geico has millions of creative executions I've seen just in the last couple of years. But they still go back to that one message, how 15 minutes can save you 15% or more on car insurance. I will tell you, though, as a former Geico customer, it is not 15 minutes. But they can keep talking about that forever, man. (laughs) I get it. But they got me to say it. It's not. It may or may not be true, but they got me to say it because they're consistent, right? Sure. And if so, I asked you to say the tagline, you would say it, even though yeah. you know it's maybe not true because they've repeated it so consistently. They 100%. execute that message in a lot of different ways with cavemen to janitors to just a whole host of different executions. But it comes down to that one message every time. So then how does a brand narrow in on that? Because I think at the same time, you see a lot of brands using like a spray and pray approach or, you know, mixing messages or things like that. Like, how do we narrow in, the, in on that one thing then? So at Awarity, we actually include that as part of the onboarding process. We'll do some research and we'll come back with a recommendation and a messaging hierarchy on what we think matters most. And you get an independent third-party view on it. And you could always change it. You don't have to go with it. And we welcome that feedback and insight. But I think what I always tell people to think about is take a step back and think about those customer conversations. And think to the moment where you see that customer just kind of lean forward and their ears perk up, and you know you've got their attention, take note of that because Mm -hmm. you just said something that they hadn't heard before, and it really resonated with something they're feeling. And maybe the way you articulate isn't exactly how you would say it in an ad message, but that's you know you've got something there 
that's clearly captivating people's attention. And so use the insights from every other marketing and sales channel you have and take note of those moments. And you know, as many marketers do, many business owners do, they're heavily involved in sales and use those insights to know what's the one thing, what's your closing line that a lot of times gets people across and start there and then you can iterate. Bounce it off other people, bounce it off some customers. Um, Don't be afraid to ask customers, hey, why did you choose us instead of the alternative and get some of that feedback to either validate or iterate on, on that hypothesis you might have. Start there. And what I'll tell you is what I've seen across a lot of brands is most brands, when they go through that exercise, they're 70 to 80% of the way there. Mm. It's just taking that step back, not being afraid to ask customers, being thoughtful about those points that they have noted in sales meetings, and then actioning and focusing and actioning on it. And I think the hardest part, and it's hard for me too, when we talk about advertising awareness, is... But we do so much more than that one thing. So we want to say more and just drawing the limit saying it's not the one thing that matters most to me. It's the one thing that matters. That's what I was going to say. That's a really important point because I think as brands, the thing that we tend to push is not what customers are looking for. So we often have to take our own viewpoints out of things. And then just recognize you're going to have other opportunities to share and tell those other points down Mm -hmm. the funnel. So you start with awareness on that one key thing. You just want people to feel something. Good awareness advertising just makes you feel something even for just a moment. Mm -hmm. Then when they see you on social, when they have a need and they're searching and they see your ad show up, your Google ad, they're going to be much more likely to pick the one that made them feel something earlier than the one that didn't. And that's where you have the opportunity to hit those other points of distinction versus competitors to tell a little bit more robust version of your story and why and how you stand out. I still encourage people when you look at your website, when you get to that, whether it's a landing page or the mainframe of your site, don't hit people with more than three to four points. And that's even pushing it. I would even say two to three is better and one is best. Because again, we've always been like key on like, you know, what is that main thing you're going to ding in and just there's 50 different viewpoints you can ding it in from, but ding in that one thing because it's confusing otherwise. Absolutely. And so hit the two to three points at most that you feel like are the most complete version of your story that ties to what the customer's pain point is mm-hmm. and helps you stand out versus their alternatives. Alternatives aren't always competition. We work with close to 200 sports properties now. We're expecting to grow that to about 300 in 2023 across all leagues. But one of the things we talk to them about, like, for example, we're talking to a minor league baseball team in Round Rock, Texas, is your competition isn't just other sports. Your competition is family bowling night, family movie night, going out to dinner. There's always alternatives to what you offer that may not be directly the same, but they're competitors in a different way. And competitor doesn't mean that you're trying to steal their share every time. It's just being in the mindset of how the customer's thinking about you. So there's, I don't know if you're aware of this team. There's a minor league baseball team out of Savannah, Georgia called the Savannah Bananas. Are you aware of the Savannah Bananas? Yes. They yes. do an excellent job of realizing that and making it entertainment yeah. as well. And because of that, their content's highly shareable. They've ended up on SportsCenter. They've ended up all over social. I think yes. what you're talking about is really important is realizing you fill more than one spot for somebody. Exactly. And that's where you think about what's that spot you're filling and make sure that comes across clearly and succinctly on your website. Then those you know, 53 other things you do great 
make sure that's accessible on site. So as people decide, you want to tell them this is worth looking at. You know, people make decisions. When they get to a website, it's within 10 seconds. They're going to decide if they're going to spend any more time on your site if they're closing out. And 10 seconds may be generous. It may be three seconds. Yeah. And you want to hit them with something that shows them they, you get them, you know their need, and you have something unique for them with the goal being they just invest more time to learn about you and they can find answers to those more detailed questions they may have. Or there's a process for them to get answers by calling you, emailing you, scheduling a meeting, whatever that might be. And so as you think about then going back to your original question, awareness is about what's that one thing that stands out that addresses a customer pain point. Engagement is showing them content that reinforces that through social and other channels and demonstrating subject matter expertise. And then your conversion is being present when they're looking. So that's search, that's SEO, that's your website. And then kind of on top of that is a whole retargeting process, whether that's banner ad retargeting, social retargeting, you know, mailers, emails, whatever those things might be to continue to stay in front of people after you know they've invested the time to learn about you, to keep reminding them, hey, this was something you're interested in. Those are also opportunities, maybe get different points, different points of your value proposition out as well. Well, Aditi, I've really enjoyed this conversation. For people that have been listening, if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about Awareity, how's going to be the best way for them to do that? Yeah. So, you know, first off, visit our website, awareity.com. And then we've set up a special link for listeners of this podcast where we'll provide a free marketing assessment. You answer a few easy-to-use questions, easy-to-answer questions. We'll take a look at a few things and come back with a simple assessment of how your overall marketing strategy looks and some key actionable steps that you could take away. It's not a sales pitch. It's just a gift back for podcasters. You know, we believe firmly here at Awareity, small business is what drives America and Mm -hmm. We want to give them, we want to democratize advertising. And so anybody that we can help, we're happy to do so. So you go to awarity.com slash the gift. Very cool. And you'll be able to see, fill out that questionnaire and we'll get back to you within a few days with an assessment. Very cool. Well, Aditya Varanasi, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. 